welcome to the Runner's Roundtable podcast. My name is Stephanie Diaz, and in season two of the Runner's Roundtable, I'll be talking to different female run coaches about their running stories and coaching philosophies. In this episode, I'm talking to Coach Christina Caldwell about the differences between road running and trail running, two things that runners tend to do wrong when approaching their nutrition, and the importance of cultivating kindness in the running community. Enjoy our conversation, and thanks for listening. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to the Runners Roundtable podcast. We're in season two. I'm talking to different female run coaches. And today I am joined by Christina Caldwell. You are a run coach. And I'm going to say maybe you have a little bit of knowledge on nutrition. And I cannot wait to dive into that bit because I'm currently training for the London Marathon. And based off of my previous training cycle for the Chicago Marathon, I know that nutrition is one of the hardest things to kind of get right as a runner, but also it's part of what makes it so hard is that our needs change as we age and as we go through different training cycles and whatnot. I I find that I've tried to not compare myself to those previous versions of myself because it's like, that's a different person, different circumstance. But before we get into all of that, before I start to pick your brain on all of that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us your running story? Sure. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And uh, just I don't know, a bit about myself. I, I'm i a mom. I'm a, a run coach, a triathlon coach, a sports nutritionist, a wife, of course. <laughs> and uh, I just I've been running ever since really college is where I started. I swam in college. So I started off as a swimmer and you know, swimmers don't run. So that was a very, a very interesting transition. But after I graduated from college and I swam division one, I really needed something to do that was going to push my body as hard as I thought swimming did, but, um, but just something that I could do. So I just started to run. And that's kind of how I got into it. And I realized that I loved pushing my body hard and I love the mental aspect of it. So I thought, you know, let me do something that's going to just be good for my body, but also from a mental standpoint, how, how can I push myself out of my comfort zone? And I guess, I mean, that was in 2004. So it's been a long, it's been a long journey uh, through, you know, through a lot of things in life, but I love, love running, love coaching runners, love helping athletes achieve their dreams. And running is just one of the fun ways to do it. Yeah. And I love that you bring up the mental aspect of running because that's something that it's definitely come up in a lot of these conversations. It comes up when I talk to people about running where the physical act of running is one thing, but the mental aspect of running is a totally different thing. How was that transition for you from swimming to running? Because I can't even imagine being right now. I'm so in that headspace of runner that uh, swimming, I feel like I it would be like being a baby and not knowing where my body parts are in relation to one another and how to move. I'm pro- I'm sure it's probably very similar to a lot of people when they start running where they're like, yes. I don't understand the mechanics of this. So how funky. is that? <laughs> yeah. it's, feel, and it's, it's almost, you can reverse it for runners that get injured. The first thought is move to the pool, like swim, water run. And so I've, I've helped a lot of runners to transition to the pool for injury or like 
surgery recovery. And then they're like, how do you swim? Like, it's so you're clunky and it's just awkward. And, and that's how it felt moving from as a swimmer in the pool. You're to me, it's, you know, you're very graceful. You're very, maybe graceful is maybe not the right word, but you feel very smooth and fluid. And you just kind of in one, like in sync with the water. And then you move to the ground and the, and you're running and you're just like, you just kind of feel like you're plodding along. <laughs> you're like, you're like, am I even doing this right? Like, if, like running is innate, like, right. We all, we all should run. <laughs> and, and here you are feeling like you're just kind of like being like clunky and, and like, like, I don't know, shuffling or, um, so it definitely was an, an interesting experience. Like I learned that I was initially, I was not engaging any of the right muscles when I ran because you know, I had an, you know, initially the, you know, knee pain and IT band issues and just, you know, the, the muscles you use in swimming are they're similar, but you don't, you don't, you're one, one is swimming based, one's land based. And so there wasn't that impact. So I had to spend a lot of time learning how to engage my glutes and learning how to just activate the right muscles. So when I did run, I was running with more efficiency and power, which as a swimmer was totally different. So I guess it's a good perspective to be able to say, like, I know what it feels like in the water and I know what it feels like in the, on the land. So when a runner's injured, it's, and they say like, I don't want to swim or, you know, like I can't. And it's like, I know it feels weird. <laughs> and you feel like you're like very out of breath and you're just like, this is so hard and running is so easy. And for swimmers, it's kind of like that same feeling of, wow, like I thought running is something that everyone does or like we're born to run and, but it's a, it's a learned process. So you just get better at it as you go. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think back to my run this morning where I'm running and I've been running for, for quite a bit of time, at least at the capacity that I'm running right now. I always like to point that out where I'm like been running for I'm going on 11 years. Like this year I can say I'm going on 11 years of running at this capacity. In the past, I would run like here and there just to, uh, on the treadmill or to do some kind of working out. And even having been someone who's consistently running like this morning, I was running and I'm like, Oh, I sound so loud. Like my breathing <laughs> felt like it sounded loud. My footfall sounded like it sounded loud. And it was one of those things where I'm like, oh, this is not, I don't feel graceful. I actually feel really heavy. And, you know, I started to go through that process of like, all right, can I relax my shoulders? Like, where is it that I'm kind of holding the weight that's making it heavy? And then also like, is it just that quiet outside? Like I started my run this morning yeah. at um, 5.45. So no yeah. one was out. So I'm like, all right, Steph, also remember that, that no one is here. Like you're going to hear everything. And that is probably one of the stranger parts of running, particularly like if you don't listen to music or you don't have mm -hmm. your headphones on, you're tuning into the sounds of your body in a different way. Is that is there anything comparable with that in swimming? Because I feel like, I mean, swimming, you would hear the water, but is there, and you said you're breathing, like the heavy breathing. Yes. Yes. You I would say for me, I don't listen to music when I run and I know that it's not normal, but the same thing in the pool, it's, it's almost, there are a couple of people that will listen to waterproof, um, like ear, you know, earphones, but, uh, for the most part, it's just, it's you and your thoughts. And so it, it allows you to just get into a rhythm, into a sink. And you're right. Sometimes you feel it in the pool in the same way in the, in, when you're running, you just don't feel right. You just feel a little off for that day, but 
often I find like when I warm up that that does kind of go away, but I had to quit going for a run outside, especially to open water swimming, because it's like you in nature and you can just listen to the sounds around you. And whether you, we've moved all over from like being in the inner, like inner cities to like the, we're kind of in the country now, but to like a suburb. So different sounds are, you know, when you're running and when you're swimming, it's like, you don't really have many sounds except for the sound of the water around you. Or if you're in a pool and your coach is yelling at you or you hear whistles or something, but it's kind of nice to be able to just zone out and just be able to focus on your form and your breathing. And for me, it's my time to think because of having children and because I feel like you're either working or like with your children and you don't have a lot of like, like our, for me, I feel like my self-care time is when I'm running or swimming or cycling or lifting or anything that's my own self-care. And so it's my time to think and my time to just kind of be, be in my thoughts and everywhere else. I feel like it's like something else is always consuming my thoughts. So yeah, I agree with that. That was a few years ago. I would take my, I would do my runs after dropping my kids off from school. And I remember I had a friend, an Instagram friend, and he would always wake up and do his runs at like four, five o'clock in the morning. And there was one day where I messaged him and I'm like, I don't know how you do that. Like, how are you waking up that early? And he told me, oh, I just, just do it. Challenge yourself to do it for 21 days. You know, 21 days, the whole, if you do it for 21 days, you make a habit. And I said, okay, I'm going to give it a try. See if I can commit to that. And it was really hard. It is still very, very hard. But to have that time to myself in the morning before my kids are awake, before I call it the morning rush of getting kids ready for school, out to school. And my kids are older now, so they do everything. They get themselves ready. They get dressed. They get their backpacks ready. They prepare themselves breakfast. But even then there's still this rush of getting out of, out of the house. And it is that time in the morning is, is my time for myself. So in those moments where my alarm goes off and I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to do this. I remind myself of, Hey, this is your time. Like this is your time when everyone is at home safe. No one needs you at the moment because that's part of it too, of like feeling, at least for myself, guilty when I go and do my run, say in the afternoon or in the evening, or I go do a class in the evening or something like that. There is that element of guilt of like, oh, I'm not home and I'm not with these people and all this. The brain chatter is so, so loud that for me, it's like, okay, it's worth it. Like that 4.30 a.m. alarm clock during the week, it sucks, but it's also worth it because it is that time that I have for myself to, yeah, be with my thoughts before anything else comes into the picture. Yeah, 100%. I agree. It's, I've even had the, my boys will wake up early and I'm like, this is mommy's time. You know, you need to go back up. It's not time for you guys to get up. They are, they are younger and they have a, a wake clock where it turns green when they're, um, when they're supposed to be getting out of bed. So I'll say like, if your train isn't green, you know, it's time you need to go back to bed and, you know, have quiet time in your room and, but it is, it's a very, like, if I am training again, they're still so young that it, when it's nice out, it's, it's winter here in New York. So it's too cold for, um, 
me to push them, but I've always pushed them in the double jogger and then the single jogger. Now the one bikes next to me while I push the one in the jogger. And so we still have like time together. And like, that's like kind of like our mommy and like me time, but at the same time, it's me with them. And so it's like, I have to have that morning, that peace and quiet. And it's just that, that time to just do you know, my own stuff. And I love, I know I love my children so much. And I do have that guilt if I am doing something. And it's just, for me, I'll, I think I'll always be a morning person for that sole reason of, I think we all need our own time. And for most of us that are parents, or I think especially moms that, you know, when we're taking care of kids and, you know, running a house or a job and we just, we need to have our own quiet time. So as much as it's a challenge to get up and my alarms, it's like a typically five, like the number four sometimes appears on my clock, but typically five (laughs) is is like, is my number. And so, but I get it. It's, it's, it's worth it for me. And I would say for anyone who has who hasn't crossed that threshold of, I just can't do it to do what you, you know, your friend had said, like, just try it and remember your why. Like if you find like you're either skipping workouts or like you just like you're they're haphazard at the end of the day. Cause they're, or like they're too late at night and they're like, and then you're up all night. Then the next day doesn't start off. Right. Cause you've now just been running like at nine o'clock at night. Cause you, you know, like you couldn't get it in. So it's like, if you get up, you know, it's going to be done. It's your own quiet time and you can move, move the rest, the rest of your day. I think in a better mood, I think a less stressed mood. I think you just, you're setting yourself up for success when you're, you're getting that run done before the day is started. Oh yeah. I agree. I, there, I feel like I get ahead of the day mm-hmm. when I wake up early and run and I don't, I mean, yeah, that's, I feel like I get ahead of the day because I come home and I have my breakfast and then I take my kids to school and then I can kind of continue on with my day without having the weight of, oh, I have to do that run later, or I have to figure out what are we going to have for dinner and how, when are we going to have that dinner? And can I prepare the dinner ahead of time so that, and it's, and it definitely gets trickier I feel like too, like when your kids get older. So my, my daughter, she's 12, she'll be 13 next month in February. And she has her own little clock. She likes by six o'clock, she likes to eat like, and if the food isn't ready by that time, she gets very angry (laughs) and, and it's, um, so even something like that, like you, for me running later in the day, just logistically gets so much more complicated. So I appreciate that you brought that up because I think if people can just give it a try for a little bit, again, not to say that it's easy, it is a challenge, but you might rediscover that the format of your days or even the flow of your days changes for the better. Agreed. And and it, it is hard and it's something that you have to, you know, be prepared for. But I feel like the like the, the end or like the result is so much better than just, yeah, it stinks to have to you get up early, but when you feel so much better and you notice the benefit and you notice you're less stressed, because if you're trying to plan dinner or if the kids have sports or you know activities and you're like, okay, well, so and so's here and then here and then we've got dinner here. And then it's just like if it's like and it's I find it's like it's done. Like you're you're just moving on with the day and then there's nothing else. Like of course there's more stress, but from a how can I get my workout in stress, it's it's no no big deal. And so I think, I think the, the pushback from athletes, you know, I don't want to have to get up that early. Um, it's like, just 
I, you know, I promise it's not going to be easy, but it's going to make you feel better. And so I feel like if they can at least trust us as coaches enough to be like, I'm willing to give it a shot, then they might find that it really does benefit them. Yeah. How did you become a coach or when did you become a coach? Gosh. So, um, I definitely didn't start off coaching. So like I, when I graduated from college, my undergraduate was in a, a dual um, exercise physiology and nutrition, just plain old nutrition. And I really thought I was going to go probably back to med school because I love helping people. And I thought, well, I'll become a doctor or a physician's assistant. And so in order to apply for med school and do physician's assistant, I um, was told I should be working in the hospital in something clinical. And so I got a position um, in the cardiac cath lab which is where if someone has a heart attack, they um, they go in and I ran the machines. So um, did not put the, anything in the people. I was running the machines for the doctors who were actually doing all the surgery. And it was that time that I was kind of like transitioning out of swimming in college and thinking, you know, I need to do something. So um, at the hospital, our hours were like six in the morning to four in the afternoon. And of course I was not married and no kids. And I just started at the end of the day, like, oh, maybe I'll do, maybe I'll go for a run. Or a lot of people at the hospital were runners and sometimes they ran at lunch. And so they would just um, take, cause we got scrubs at the hospital. So we had to wear um scrubs that were provided. So we would just take off our scrubs, put on some running clothes, go for a run and then put on new scrubs. <laughs> and so like, yeah, you might be sweaty, but you're wearing, you're wearing your hair pulled back. You've got like scrub caps on, you have masks before, before COVID and then clean scrubs. So it really was like not a big deal. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of how it started. And and then someone was like, well, you were a swimmer and now you're running, you should try a triathlon. So I was like, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> so <laughs> that kind of started like my, like, endurance adventure. And, um, I really found I gravitated towards trail running. I think my personality is a, um, uh, I'm more of a trail runner. I grew up hiking and, um, you're just, you know, just doing a lot of like outdoor, like camping. And, and so just have trail running just felt almost like home, like coming home. Mm -hmm. And I found that it was, um, not to say not to change the topic, but uh, I had suffered with an eating disorder for many years and that was through college and then beyond. And I felt like there was a lot of pressure and a lot of competition to be very fast. And I did swim at a division one school. So there was a lot of pressure to be a certain speed and look a certain way and achieve a certain, you know, level, um, at, at the school or at the university. And as a trail runner, I felt I didn't have to wear a Garmin or my watch this is like, you know, way back. I mean, there was Garmin, but it was so, so techno, like technology yep. was not there um, yep. back in four oh five. Like, so I didn't wear a watch and I just, it was me in the woods by myself and I could walk when I wanted, you know, power hike up the hills. I could run when I wanted. And there was no judgment of, oh my gosh, like that was a, a 15 minute mile. That was an eight minute mile. That was a seven minute mile. That was a 12 minute mile. There was no, there's no judgment because you're trail running. Like it's, it's supposed to be for fun. And of course, of course there are trail runners that are very fast and they care. But for me, it was such a, such a change from coming from a high pressure, high comp like competition sport to doing something for the pure fun of it and the pure love mm -hmm. of it and to have something that I didn't feel I was being judged for. So that's kind of how I, I started. And then I just coaching, I just, it kind of transitioned. Like I, because I had the exercise physiology background and the nutrition background, people would ask me questions and I'd start giving 
you know, advice. And then even though I wasn't um, super fast, I was at that point fairly, you know, fairly fast. And so I think it kind of just attracts people when you're able to say like, well, are you feeling this way? Or, you know, how I love strength and conditioning. So I could say like, well, what are you doing for strength training? And when I could help them that way. And that kind of just slowly started to, you know, just the more people ask questions and the more I like to help them, I thought, you know what, instead of becoming a doctor and being in this position, which is wonderful for so many people, but just was not meant for me, I realized what if I could help, help people and, and even from a nutrition standpoint, help athletes before they got to the point of an eating disorder, because if I could stop them before they got there, they'd never have to go down that path of that suffering that I had gone through. So it almost became my mission to be very vocal about eating disorders and about running or any sport, really less about the competition and more about doing it for the pure love of it. And while you want to get better and be faster, but at the same time, realizing that you are not defined by your times, you are not defined by how much you weigh, you are a individual and we want to be focused on, you know, that and not like, you know, you're a good person just because you are not because you've just won a race or not just because, you know, you weigh, you know, this amount, this amount of, you know, weight. And so that became kind of like my, um, just that, that was like the catalyst, I guess. I, I realized that I could use without even realizing I was doing it. I was like using that as like a catalyst to like start to, t- to get the message out there that nutrition and, and running specifically didn't have to be didn't have to be this big competition for who can be the fastest or the the leanest out there. That was long-winded. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no. I appreciate that because there are a few things that like, like little threads that I want to follow here. Right. So you went from, you went from the pool, Mm -hmm. which sounds like a highly competitive environment to something like trail running, which wasn't competitive and I think of trail running and, and, you know, I am in awe of trail runners because that truly does feel like a part of running that isn't so focused on time. Mm-hmm. And again, like you said, there are like we had, you know, and I'm sure you probably followed along with like the Bandera race this past weekend and seeing what people, you know, a hundred K how I think the person who won it was like, I don't even know, but under 10 hours, yeah. right? It's a, yeah, amazing. <laughs> it's like, it's a, it's so I find that, yes, you have those faster people. There's fast people everywhere, but it really does seem like road running is where people hyper focus on the fast. And, and I guess you can tell me if I'm wrong or right in any of this. Or if I'm just totally missing the mark, because I feel like with road runners, there is so much more talk about food, nutrition, and even that mentality of to get faster, you have to be skinnier. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, that's totally not it, at least. And maybe that's just me coming from a place of being more in more in the road running community versus the trail running community. But I've always seen trail running as a place of one, it's a lot harder than road running. <laughs> it's different. But, it's different yeah. muscles, different strengths. Like it's 
But you're right. It's a different community, I'd say. Like it's a like if you could like break it down, I'd say like the word I'd go with is it's a community of people that are less focused on on time and more more encouraging. There's I feel like there certainly are egos in everything you do, but there's less ego and there's less there's less focus on on your speed and your time because it's more about you know, the, the challenge of, you know, um, a 50 K with 6,000 feet of climbing is much, much different than like even a road 50 K or a marathon that has several hundred feet of climbing. Like, so they're, they're two totally different beasts. We'll say like you train for them differently and it takes a different mentality because, um, I'd say they're painful in different ways. Like a road marathon, you're probably going to be feeling more of like a threshold effort. You're putting more out there from a very steady, consistent. So it's painful in that sense. But a trail marathon is painful because it's more of you're, you're going to have to power hike and you're going to have to be avoiding rocks and roots. And it could be the conditions might be more brutal as you climb up, you know, different peaks and then coming down. So depending on like whether it's um, just like a, um, like a, like a trail marathon or half marathon, or if you're doing a 50 K or a hundred K or a hundred miler, or like with nutrition, I work with athletes, like they're doing like 200 milers or, or like really long, you know, four or five day trail runs. And that comes, that's less about your, the conditioning of an athlete and how fast they are versus like the mental aspect and the physical conditioning of a strength and resiliency to maintain over several days. And so I think like, that's just like a different, it's like a different mindset, a different kind of community focus, because one is like road running, which I also love. And most of my athletes do tend to be road runners. Um, but I do love my, the trail runners. Um, so I think it's more of a, I want to get faster at either a 5k or 10k or half marathon marathon. And then the, the ultras are more like, help me run my first 50 miler or help me to get stronger and stay injury free as I'm doing this thing that has 10,000 feet of climbing. So they're very, they're very different. And I think it's just different personalities are attracted to different styles. And I just, at that time in my life, I really needed like almost like a safe place to go that was going to be accepting and it didn't matter how fast I was or, you know, how thin I was. And, and it's, you know, so I just, there's definitely differences, but they're both good. That's not to say that the either is one is better. It's just a different personality. It will fit in. And sometimes you transition back and forth. Yeah. I've done one trail half marathon and it was, I think it was back in 2014. Okay. And I remember, or I don't even know, whenever I did it, I had already done several road half marathons. And I remember doing that race and here I'm in Miami, Florida, there aren't too many trails. So this was in a a park that was in North Miami beach and it was three loops. That was the course, three loops. And remember doing it, being out there by myself and thinking, this is so hard because one, the effort was different. Like the talk about really, it, there was a point where I was look. I, I was like, oh, I'm running so fast. I know I'm running fast. And then I looked at my watch and it was a 13 minute mile. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so we're not going to look at the watch anymore. Yeah. It's not no. really going to help me out here. But it was also to your point of like the mental, oh my gosh, totally different mental experience. Because again, it was three loops and I just couldn't get my bearings. 
I could not, I was like, where am I? Does that tree look familiar? Like everything was beautiful, but everything looked the same. Whereas, you know, when you're on a road race, there's the mile markers. You can feel that you're moving forward, right? Yeah. Like maybe there's can more see, spectators. Like, stations coming or yes, oh, this is going to be, there's, yeah, you're getting more, a cheering section coming up and in the, in the woods, you're like, where is everybody? There was nothing. No, no, there was nothing. I was just like, I don't even hear the person in front of me. I don't hear the person behind me. And I think part of that is just, and I don't know if it's changed since I did that race, but there wasn't that big of a trail running community here in Miami, mm. but I do look at trail running. And it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, I really want to get into something like that. I would love to try it more, but it's that change in mentality of going from the roads where it's, I guess in a way, it's a little more of like a linear mindset. Like you start and like you said, you have your aid stations, you have this stuff, you have all just other indicators of where you are. Whereas again, that one trail half marathon, it wasn't, I was just kind of on my own. My aid station was when I looped back before oh, having so to only go one back per in. Loop? Oh yeah. Yeah. So you're so not even it, sure, like, am I in the right trail? Like, especially yeah. if it's like a, like a trail, like a series of trails, some, it's easy to get lost if you're not, you know, especially if your mind has wandered and you're like, you're running and like thinking about things and you're just like, Hmm, I haven't seen people. Like, yeah. Is this the right trail? Yeah. Yeah. That happened to me a few times. And again, that was like the disorienting part yeah. of, am I in the right place? How far have I gone? Again, not wanting to look at my watch because that takes Again, that mental shift of, oh, my effort feels like I'm here based on what I'm used to on the roads, but on the trail, it's different. And I think you also bring up this, this lovely point about how the expectations for the people who go on the trails is different, right? Because I, and again, I bring in my own personal experience of when I first started running, I did a run walk method. That's how I first started running. And I would go to these races and anytime I took a walk break, people would tell me, come on, you you can go, you can run, you can, you can go. And I'm like, wait, I'm taking a walk break on purpose here. Whereas I feel like even like the trail runners I follow and hearing after these big trail races, people are like, yeah, I walked and then I climbed and then I was on, yeah. like, I've heard of races where like, it's so steep that they're on hands oh, and yeah. knees and like that stuff is celebrated in the trail community it's so weird it's just so it, weird it's to me. different and it's it depends on how technical the trail run is like you can have a trail run that's like a rail trail that's like a like an old railroad and so it's like crushed gravel and so that's kind of like a base entry into trails and then you'll have depends on where you are in the country like here in the northeast that tends to be much more rocky much more like technical um you know versus like when we lived in Oregon um, and Eugene, which is kind of fun for being a runner. Um, and so the trails there are going to be different. It's like rainforest um, versus like, you know, this like kind of roots and rocks and then like the Rockies, like, so Colorado, like that's going to be a little bit different. So depending on where you are, or even like Texas, we lived when we lived in Texas, the trails there, um, like some of them are quite like, there's a really great ultra um, dinosaur Valley state park. And those are beautiful trails and, uh, but they're so different. There's not a lot of rocks and roots. And so you, 
you like, you can, you definitely have different stories based on where you run. Like some of the, like the runs, like if you ever did like Mount Washington or the presidentials, um, which is like up in New Hampshire, um, then it's going to be a very, there's a very technical, like hand over foot for part of that, you know, the climb. So there's no way you're running. Like you, like, you might be like running like a couple of miles per hour and you're like, this is great. <laughs> like I am going more than one mile an hour, like on this, like really technical part. So it's just a very different mindset. And, and I feel you on the, on the run walk, because while I didn't start off that way, that's how I, I do run now because um, I have a genetic condition that has gotten a lot worse. And so one of the um, the best ways for me to keep being able to run is by doing a run walk method. So um, my last race, well, actually, if it's a short race, I'll probably much, I'll run it. But like in my last half marathon, I did a, like a 130, 30. Mm-hmm. And so I ran one minute and 30 and I walked 30. And you get that from people like, you're doing great. Like, don't walk. And it's like, no, no, I'm literally, I have to walk. Like I'm doing okay. <laughs> and it's, but that feeling of like, there's a lot of, for me, it was a lot of shame first like a lot of um like I didn't want people to like oh they're gonna look at my time and I used to be here and now I'm here and I I really feel like that's from a coaching standpoint it's good that I've had to feel all these emotions because I now have that empathy moving forward to other athletes if they do get injured or have something that that you know like they still want to run but maybe they're not going to be as fast as they once were and like I feel you I understand you and I know that shame or that feeling of like people are going to judge me. People are going to look down on me because I'm not a real runner anymore. Mm. And so I think like getting through that and finding like the running community that accepts where you are, whether that's a coach or a running shop, like a running store that has like a group run or like if you find a Galloway method, like that's really great. Cause like they purposely run walk. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, like you have others surrounding you that, so like you feel like you're not alone. I think it's, um, but are there so many emotions when it comes to running? So it's, it is, it's, you may not think of it, but it's, it's, you know, not, not you, but other people, like they might be like, oh, running is a very emotional sport, but it's so, there's so much mindset involved with running. There is. And running is very much so tied to our worth, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you touched upon that when it's like, oh, I'm not a runner. If I'm, if I'm doing the run walk method, I'm not a runner. Or if I'm injured, or if I don't run X amount of miles a day, or if I don't do races, like there's all these things that we create in our head that we tell ourselves we're not runners. And, and I, I find it to be the most common in this whole, like run straight versus run walk, like in those where it's like, you're both doing the mile, like you're both covering the distance. You're just doing it differently. And I find that to be, to be something that's a little bit frustrating, particularly when we're thinking about people who are newer to the sport and who are trying to get into the sport, right? For a lot of people, for, I would say the vast majority of people cannot you know, like you're not going to wake up one day and say, Oh, I want to run. And then you're going to go outside and be able to do a 5k. No problem. Like, it's usually <laughs> like, you're going to go out, you're going to run a few minutes and be like, wow, this is really hard. And exactly. Yeah. And walk. And... Yeah. yeah. No, how do you, yeah. How do you talk about these issues with your athletes? Right. Because this is something, obviously a lot of people come to a run coach because or, and again, I guess you'll have to correct me here because do the trail runners come to you 
for coaching so that they can get to their race healthy and injury free versus road runners who come to you and they're they're coming to you with a very specific time goal. I don't know if there's a difference between the two types of runners for you and what you see. Yes. I definitely would say the the vast majority of road runners are either having a t- like a time goal or a distance goal that has a time kind of goal attached to it. And mm-hmm. so um I I'd work mainly I'd say with um like the I don't know how to say it, like the age group athlete or the age group runner that's been running for a while. Most of my athletes aren't brand new runners, so they're not needing like the initial like running program, but they've been running for a few years and they want to either step it up in a distance or in a time goal. And so they usually start with that from a road standpoint, like I want to qualify for Boston or I want to, um, you know, like PR, I want to have like a 15 minute PR, or I've only ever run half marathons. I want to run a marathon or I want to run a 50 K. So like, there's like a, there's like a goal they usually start with, whereas a trail runner is definitely like, they have a goal in mind, but there's absolutely no time goal unless it's, I just want to make it before cut off, you know, something like that. Like I want to, I want to, uh, you know, finish this 50 miler and I want to finish it smiling and not injured. (laughs) And so it's, it's a very different, it's a different kind of way from a coaching standpoint. And I'd say if the athlete is a newer trail runner, then it's just like a lot of like, I believe in communication is key. And, and I tend to be fairly open with what I tell athletes. And so I'm not, like I try not to sugarcoat things and I'll say things like it's okay to, to hike. It's okay to walk. I, I literally want you, if you have to tape your Garmin, like literally with like, you know, put on a masking tape or a painter's tape and literally cover it. Maybe you want to know how long you ran. And so that way you can still hurt the stop and start button, but do not look at the face. Do not try to tell yourself, oh my gosh, it's a 13 minute mile. And I'm normally running like 10 minute miles. Like it's such a mindset shift that I try to be really open to say, you're going to be slower. Like you're going to be walking. Like it's, mm-hmm. and then from a, the road runner standpoint, you know, I do say things like, you know, if you're, if you're, if I'm looking at someone's physiological markers, like, and I use training peaks as my like coaching platform, but if I'm looking and I'm, I'm seeing that they're training for a marathon, but by the time they hit like 10 or 11 miles and they're still, they're at a nice aerobic pace, but they're having like them all of a sudden like they're tanking. I say, I think we should start with a walk run until you're able to say, hit those miles where you're like, you can consistently hang here. And most will give me pushback at first. And they're like, I don't want to be a walk runner. And I'm like, how about we just start with a nine one where every nine minutes you take a one minute walk break, one minute walk break, you do some nutrition, um, hydration, and then you keep going. And most of the time they come back and they're like, I can't believe how much better I felt. I can't believe how much faster I was because that small walk break allowed them to get their nutrition in kind of, kind of refocus, reset. And it also trains their body to start again. I think that's the problem is um, a lot of runners and just athletes, like triathletes fall into this category when they're racing, they never practice restarting. So in a race, if they stop in an aid station, they they're not used to stopping and getting, maybe they try to run through it and then they, they flash, you know, drink all over themselves. And so the next one, they're like, I'm going to stop. And then they stop. And then their muscles are saying to them, like, don't go, this is nice. You know, you have now just given me a rest. Whereas if you practice (laughs) that that walk run, you know, your body's like time to start again. And it's so much easier to restart. And I think that's like a difference that you just have to tell them, like, 
Like, it's not that you're not a good runner. It's just, you might be more efficient if we can do this. And I don't, I don't have all my athletes do that, but if I see that they're not able to do these longer runs yet, then I, I think it's a good strategy to work in while either they build or they find that I am actually faster doing this. And so, yeah. <laughs> How do you have that conversation with them? Because that's something that I've been really interested in and in understanding how each coach navigates having those difficult conversations. Because again, going back to what I said earlier, runners do have a tendency to tie their worth to how they perform, right? Like your worth, which I think is just bogus, but how do you have those conversations with people of like, Hey, walking doesn't make you any lesser of a runner. It doesn't make you a bad runner. And yeah. How do you have that conversation? And then how do you get them to buy into it to at least trying? Exactly. And then sometimes it's really hard. And sometimes I'll know the athlete well enough at that point to be like, I know I'm going to get pushed back. <laughs> and I, and I just, and some, some, I know already do trust me well enough that I can approach mm-hmm. it in that way. And I do try to just, since I try to be very forthcoming from the, like the front, like I, I'm always kind and empathetic with my athletes, but at the same time, I always try to, when we do our weekly check-ins, I I tell them how their training's going. I'll say things like, well, I noticed your heart rate, you know, was spiking here. Was there something I wasn't seeing that was happening? Like, you know, did you feel dehydrated? You know, was it a very hot day? Like, was there something going on? And if there wasn't, then I, I do have that conversation of, I think, excuse me, I think that you might've been starting off too hard, even though that's a pace I might've told them, I want to back it off. And so I'll, I'll kind of start that, that kind of giving that feedback right away. So when I do have feedback, I feel like like later on as they're progressing in their long runs, mm-hmm. I feel like they might be more open because I've given them um, more feedback from the beginning about how their body is just physiologically responding. And so some will be like, okay, I'll give it a shot, even though that they totally are feeling like I'm not a real runner or, you know, like I just, that's makes me uncomfortable just thinking about that. And then I'll say like, you know, I promise let's just give it a couple of times. And if that, the, the couple of times you do it, you're hating it. Like we can go back and talk about trying something else. But most of them by that point where, you know, most people don't get to me and they're like, they're at marathon distance already. And then they're, you know, like, so they're not already running 20 miles that they might be running like six or eight. And Mm -hmm. so that we have time to kind of work through that communication. So I really feel like communication and being just honest and, and at the same time, I'm never going to tell an athlete, like, you know, like something like what in the heck happened? Like that was so slow. Like, oh my gosh, I would never say anything like that, but more of like, tell me what was going on because I see your heart rate did this, or I see your pace did that. And that kind of opens the door to being able to say like, because I'm seeing these things happen, let's try this and see what your body does. And then that kind of like, instead of just saying you have to do a a walk run, let's just say like, let's see physiologically, like what happens to your heart rate? What happens to your pace from like where were you were at mile three to where you were at mile 16? Can you still maintain that same pace given this nine, one or nine 30, 30, um, versus a straight run. And if they start off here and then like their pace is doing one of these and in that, that run walk, if they're able to maintain their entire pace, and if this was faster run walk than a straight, then it's like, Oh, I was actually faster. And I felt better. Like, kind of like lets them like almost like see it themselves. And, you know, I kind of just say like, let's try this and see. And then they're like, Oh, this is really great. And 
Again, not everyone does um, does a run walk method. Um, it tends to be anyone I find slower than like a 3.30 marathon. I tend to encourage them to try it. And if you're faster than that, we generally don't need to do it. That Except in, in an Ironman, then I'd pretty much tell people you have to do a run walk um, to get your nutrition in the marathon in an Ironman. But in a standalone marathon, it's definitely in a road race. And a trail, you're going to be walking or hiking or power walking. So it's not even a, a it's not even a, um, it's not even a, like, let's An talk about there. it. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's like, they're, they're like when, unless it's a, um, like a rail trail, very flat, then maybe, maybe we can, you know, talk about it. But if there's any kind of elevation built in, you're not going to be running those Hills. Like you're just, or if you do, that's setting you up to walk the entire rest of the way. So, um, so it's a little bit easier from that trail standpoint, because it's almost an expectation that you're hiking, power walking for a lot of it. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense because what I'm hearing from you, and this kind of goes to like what your coaching style is, right? Where it's, there's a lot of communication that goes on and even just are, do you do weekly check-ins with all your athletes, regardless of where they are in their training? I do. <laughs> so I use um, email, but more, more, I've actually moved towards Voxer. Have you ever heard of Voxer? Mm-mm. So it's a, it's an app and it's actually a walkie talkie app, but we don't use it as a walkie talkie. Like it's, you just, you hold the button down and you leave a message. But what I was finding is a lot of like, I'm, I'm like most runners were a lot of type A they might be, you know, like a lawyer, a veterinarian, or, you know, a business finance. And I can't be like calling them or like leaving them messages, like when they're like in the middle of a dental procedure, you know, like, so um, with Voxer, what it allows me to do is I can leave them a voice message at any time of the day. If they have their phone on silent, then they won't hear anything. If they have it on like loud, they might, they'll hear like a beep beep, which just means like I've left them a message, mm-hmm. but it, there's no interruption as in like, it's not a, um, it's not a phone call. It's not a text. And so it, it frees up your phone from, from like always getting inundated with texts or calls and I can leave them. Um, so it's usually once or twice a week. I usually do Mondays and Thursdays or Tuesdays and Fridays, unless they're racing and then it'll be, you know, different, but I just get on and I look at training peaks and I just, I'm like, you know, I'll hold my little button down and I'll talk into my, my phone and I'll just be like, you know, Hey, so-and-so like taking a look at your workouts. And it looked like, you know, Monday, like this was going on, look really great. And then Tuesday, look like maybe you were struggling with that pace, but tell me, how did it feel? You know, like, you no, know, how was your nutrition or hydration here? And then the, what I like about Voxer is it's quicker for them versus like, they don't always have time to sit and email these like long in depth, uh, you know, responses to my questions and training peaks. And I can hear their voice because our voice, even without realizing it, like if someone's had a really bad day at work or they're very stressed or, or even they're trying to tell me like, oh yeah, that run went really well. And then like, you're listening to your vo- their voice and you're just like, mm-hmm. Mm-mm, like it, it didn't or something else is going on. So I found as a coach, like it's been super, probably about been about like a year and a half maybe that I've used it. And I felt like it's a, a game changer for me because I don't have a lot of local athletes. Most of them are um, are all over. And so I really like to be able to hear their voice and hear how they're, they're doing. And if they're not doing well, then I can say, let's jump on a phone call or let's schedule a call or tell me, like, tell me really what's happening because, um, you know, it's more of a, I almost feel like a life coach sometimes, but it always yes. comes back to like, how does it work into their training? And so 
no matter where they are. And some, sometimes the boxers are 30 seconds and they're like, hey, you had some great base runs, you know, base training this week. And like, let me know, how's it going? And, and other times it's a much more like, oh, we're lo really looking at marathon paced, you know, runs or, you know, oh, those intervals, let's go through each of the intervals. And so um, so yes, I, I still, I do still talk with my athletes just because I want, I want them to know that I'm there, but I also think that how I sometimes look adjust or coaching will depend on their daily, like, like stress in life. And if they're have young children, they're not sleeping, I can hear it in their voice. And I will say, let's take a couple of recovery days and, you know, you got plenty of time before your race. So let's just recover. Oh. I love that because it's like run coaching with a dash of life coaching there. And yes. I'm a huge fan of voice notes. Like I just said, oh, voice you should check it out. I'm going to check it out because yeah. I love voice notes because I agree. And for me also, a lot of my thinking happens when I start talking, right? Like I can see mm -hmm. data in one way, but once I start saying things out loud, then different dots get connected for me. And I think what I'm hearing from you again about like your coaching style is very much so is that like you're even with that sending those voice notes, you're showing the people that you work with that you're just as invested in their training as they are. Obviously they're the ones that are doing the work, yes. but like you're taking the time to kind of like help them process it. Because I always say too, that, you know, run coaches, we have a more global view of the yes. training, whereas the runner individually, what they understand is kind of what they're living through right now. So like, for me, it's more like in my mind, I have yesterday's run and today's run in my head. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking about the runs I did last week because I'm like, those are done. We're done. Like we're good. <laughs> Whereas the run coach is kind of taking in all of that information. And what I hear from you as well is that it's, and I come back to this idea of investment because when you give that feedback to your athletes, you're depositing into that trust bank, mm -hmm. you know, for a lack of a better, like not a great analogy, but it's like, no, when you give they that see kind of that feedback invested in, and I think that allows for communication to be easier when they feel like you've been watching or paying attention and, and have their best interests at heart. So I feel like maybe even though I do communicate, a, not a lot, but like, I, I do think that it's very, very valuable as a coach. And some of my athletes, as you I'm sure find like some like to talk more than others. And some are just like, mm -hmm. give me the workouts. I don't really want to have a lot of communication or feedback. I still like when I'm doing like an onboarding or like a, an athlete, like consult, like initial, I will say like, I do expect my athletes to give feedback. And I do expect that at least once a week, you'll like three minutes, you know, like that's all it would be like, you don't have to spend hours with me, but it's like, it's almost a, um, because I've been coaching for so long, I feel like now, like I have, I know how I work as a coach and I know how athletes that I need to work with, like are the ones that would, would fit best with me. Mm -hmm. And if they're not willing to either listen to feedback or give feedback once a week, then I just know that we're not going to be the best fit. And so I'd rather approach that from the beginning versus telling someone, yeah, let's work together. And then several months of like miscommunications and like, <laughs> are you doing okay? Or how are you doing? And Hey, can you let me know how you're doing? Like, like, why are you skipping all these workouts? You know, like if it's, there's a very good reason, like, Hey, I'll work with, you know, like, I'll understand let's work together. But like, if I don't know that you went on vacation, you know, or like, or like, Oh, yeah. like, you know, like a, a friend died and I didn't know. And like, all of a sudden, like, you're just in training, it's red and training peaks. Like you had like five red days in a row and like, or did you get sick? Like, 
Yeah. So I, I found over the years, like initially I would just be like anyone that wanted to work with me, I'd be like, yes, come on, come on board. And then, um, as I kind of honed, I guess my coaching practice, I realized that not every coach is going to be a good fit for every athlete. And that's why there's so many of us. <laughs> yeah. I love that because that was something that I realized pretty early on in my coaching where I had this mentality of like, oh, I just need to take whoever, like whoever wants me, I need to take them. And um, I realized that I'm someone very similar to you, high communication. Like I need a lot of communication and it's, and it is kind of annoying sometimes when people are not used to communicating that often because people, I, I, part of the reason why I'm doing these discussions too, is so that people can understand that like your coach is not just a tool. They're not just the creation of a training plan, but they're also a big resource and a big cheerleader. And they are invested in what you're doing, how you're doing and how you're feeling when you're doing all of that. But that was something that to what you shared. And that's always a question I ask of like, how do you determine whether someone's a good fit for you or not? And for me, like that's always the first red flag that I see is red flag in terms of, okay, you're not a good fit for me and I'm not a good fit for you is that communication piece of like, oh, if you want the plan, but you don't want me to check in on you, then we're good. And then also to like your point of what you shared of like, you know, if there's five days where it's in the red and you're not seeing anything, that also doesn't work for me because I need to know what's going on in your life because I like to know what's going on in your life so that then I can plan workouts that make sense with your life. I'm really big on this, this idea. And I've synthesized it to this statement of if it doesn't add to your life, then subtract it from your life. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel running is running is something that a lot of us do as an add on to our lives as something extra that brings us joy or that makes us have fun or challenges us, whatever the case Mm -hmm. is. But it's like, I can't help you if you're not communicating with me, if you're not telling me what's going on, because I found that one, I don't want to feel like I'm taking care of people. Like I, I say this and I'm like, it's, it's harsh. It's blunt, but it's like, I have two kids. Okay. I have to mother two kids. I don't want to mother anybody else. And I don't want to feel like I'm nagging people yes. to do the work. Like, like babysitting, like, and again, it's not, to me, it's not blunt and it's not, and it's nothing to feel bad about because we're all adults. I mean, unless, unless someone's coaching, you know, kids and that's a different story, but we're we're all coaching adults who want to get better, whether it's a personal goal, maybe there's outside pressure, you know, like they want to like look good at their job, whatever the, their goal is like, we're not there to be a babysitter to like, like, why aren't you doing your workouts? Like, like, Hey, your workouts aren't being done. All right. What are you doing? Are you okay? Like, so that's kind of like exactly like, right. Like if we're not adding to them and we're not helping them to, to be happier, less stressed, be better parents, be better workers, coworkers, bosses, you know, whatever it is in life, like life is too short to, you know, to just feel like you have to be like a, to me, like I think of a babysitter because we're like hounding people or nagging them. Like, for me, like I, like I'll tell my athletes, like if I don't know how you're doing, I will not, like I, I write in two week blocks. So, um, if I don't know how you're doing and you're not filling out training peaks or you're not talking to me and your workouts are red, I can't literally do your next two weeks because I don't know how, how you are. Like, I'm not going to keep building if you're, you're falling behind or you're injured or you're sick. And 
And so I feel like when that's a very like, you know, red flag or big clue that they're not the right fit. And I, and I'll say something like, Hey, maybe it's like a more of a stock plan where you just get a plan and go and you, you go and then you don't have to like worry about other people, but people for me, hire me. And it sounds like you, like, because they, they want us to help them get better. And if we're not providing that, like we work hard for our athletes. And for me, I expect my athletes to work hard for me, meaning it's like a mutual respect of, yep they can expect that I'm going to work hard and I'm going to expect that they maybe not like physically, like they have to follow the plan, but if they're not trying to follow the plan or they're not trying to communicate, then I just feel like it's, why are they wanting to spend money with me? If what I'm Mm -hmm. offering is not, what is there, what good, what's good for them? If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I mean, I've definitely had conversations with athletes where it's been situations where I feel like I have to give them permission to let me go. Right. Where I'm like, I'm like, Hey, if this isn't serving you or you don't have the space for this right now, we can always stop. I want you to know that it's okay. Like, and I try to make it very, very clear to people that it's like, this is supposed to be something fun. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's challenging, but for me, I'm like, I try to explain to people, we have enough in our lives that we have to do that. We can't negotiate around them. We have to do that. (laughs) Moving our bodies physically, like any workout regimen, any movement practice, that should be something that you're choosing to do. So I also believe that every person has their preferred movement modality and that sometimes it just takes a little bit of time exploring different movement modalities to figure out which is the one that makes the most sense for you. But I've definitely had to have that conversation with a few athletes of like, is this really what you want to do? Because it's okay. Like, Again, I don't want people feeling like they have to give me excuses or they have to justify. I'm like, no, no, no. Like we're good. Like you don't, you, you don't have to tell me I had all this stuff going on. It's fine. Like I'm, I'm here to try to help you fit this into your life. But if you feel like you have to give me excuses for why it's not happening, then let's take a moment to pause and really figure out, is this something that does make sense for you right now? Because if it does, cool, we'll, we'll kind of figure it out. But then even then it's like, oh, if it does, but you're still not making the changes in your life to fit it in, then really let's kind of explore what's actually going on here. And I find that there, I've had people where it's, they just want to try running. Like they're like, everybody's doing it, you know, like they're like, everybody's doing it. So it seems like the thing that makes sense for me to do. And then they do it. And it's like, it's just not their movement. Like that is just not their thing. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) totally cool. Like it's totally fine. How do you, so you said you usually have a consultation with people. Mm -hmm. What is that process like for people working with you? Do they usually send you a message? Is it reaching out through your website? Is there a consultation? How, how is that onboarding process for you? Yeah. So uh, I'd say now I'm a a very referral based. So most of my athletes do come to me and then if it's um, a referral, someone will be like, oh, well, so-and-so might reach out to you because I referred them or I'll get an email and say, and that says so-and-so, you know, has coached Mm -hmm. you or is your coach. And I want to, I just want to talk about coaching. Sometimes they'll reach out with like a contact form on on my website or through social media. Then very first thing I do is um, I send them a link to my scheduling software and I just say, hey, find a, a free like 20 minute time and let's just make sure we're a good fit. And then I'll ask basic questions like, 
What are you training for? What's your experience? What are you looking for in a coach? And then I kind of give my philosophy and then I'll say like, you know, it's okay if, you know, if I don't sound like the right fit for you, I can always refer to another coach. And I just, you know, try to like make it clear from that initial call, like of my expectations. And then I want to hear their expectations. And then if it's a, a good fit, then um, they fill out a questionnaire and we'll have another typical, another phone call. And then we'll make a plan on, you know, their life and their work and their, you know, like what's, you know, what's happening. And then that's kind of how we start. We, in training peaks, I'll, I'll kind of outline several, we like first two weeks and then I'll like look at their overall life and like their strength training history and their nutrition history. And it's kind of like a, like all my one-on-ones have a little bit of access for all of that. And so I just kind of build out a plan based on those initial conversations and then those ex- expectations of I'll be emailing you or voxering you on a Monday or a Thursday or Friday, just depends. <laughs> and, uh, and then that's kind of the, it just gets going and it takes, I say it takes a couple of weeks. And I always say, you know, as a coaching relationship, I usually say three months is a really good time frame mm-hmm. for me as a coach to learn about you and for you to learn about me. And I'll never lock anyone in. Like I, I do try to say like, oh, three months minimum. But if, you know, after a month, if you're like, you are just not the right fit, like it's okay. I'll never be like, well, you told me, you know, like, you know, yeah. so it's, um, uh, so that's kind of how I, I progress. And then, yeah. And then a lot of my athletes do end up staying for quite a number of years, just because we develop that rapport and that relationship. And, and so that's really nice that I get to know them on, on that deeper level, but like their families and. And then it's, it's nice. So you briefly mentioned your philosophy. If you had to bring it all together in one Hmm. sentence. That's a tough one. (laughs) Yeah, that is a tough one. What would you say is your coaching philosophy? Hmm. I would say like my coaching philosophy is one where I try to meet the athlete where they are from a, you know, physical, mental, like emotional, even nutritional standpoint. And I try to make them better, more efficient, less stressed on their way to help them meet their goal. So that, that was very like non like fluent and terrible, but like, I try to tell the athlete that like wherever their goal is, I'm going to help them to reach it through the steps of, um, emotional health, physical health, nutritional health, like lifestyle, like sleep and stress. And so like my philosophy is it has to be an all in one. Like I can't, I just can't give you running workouts and then just be like, go like, cause I feel like as a, as a one-on-one coach, at least if someone just wanted a plan, then that would be a different thing. And that's a different level um, of coaching. But for one-on-ones, like my philosophy is it's the whole athlete. And that means like I have six pillars. So the six pillars um, are mindset, lifestyle, which is typically sleep and stress and family, daily nutrition, race day nutrition, endurance training, which is the running, and then strength and conditioning. So those are my six pillars. And each of my athletes has to, we have to make sure we're touching on each of those six pillars not every week, but just as a whole, like we look at the big picture and are we always, are we always making sure each, each of these six pillars are being met in the season? I appreciate that because I, I perceive us runners as being dynamic creatures. And I feel that the relationship with the coach has to be dynamic as well, right? Like you do have to take the context into a person's life into account and into consideration when you are working with them and helping them get to their goals. Because oftentimes 
your life off the run is going to have to adapt and adjust to the training you're doing for your goal. Out of curiosity, what is the biggest thing you see nutrition-wise that runners do that frustrates you the most? There's a lot, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'd say like the biggest, the biggest ones I could say like some bullet points would be one is that they're afraid to gain weight. So they underfuel, and yep. that plays a role in their daily nutrition and in race day nutrition when they're thinking, you know, like uh, they take a gel, you know, once every two or three hours and you're just like, oh my gosh, no, your body's getting depleted. Like this is for marathon, you know, not for like a 5k or 10k, but for longer races, like they're, you know, they're worried about taking on fueling. So they just, they minimize it. Cause they're like, I don't want those extra calories or they think I'll do that on race day, but I'm not going to train with my nutrition. And then what happens is we have to train our gut. Like we train our body. Then if we haven't trained our gut to accept things like gels or chews or bars, or even whole food, then on race day, you get out there thinking, well, I'm going to be taking my gels and my chews and my bars. Your body's going to say, no, thank you. Like it is not at all prepared for that. So I'd say from like a, if I could have two categories daily would be they're afraid of the calories and afraid of under afraid of overfueling. And so they end up underfueling. And then race day, they never practice their race day nutrition, thinking that my body can handle it on race day and I'm just going to do it. And then that ends up, they'll end up with GI distress and, or they have to stop taking food because then their, their, their stomach's nauseous. Then that the last you know, like 10 miles of that marathon, they're like sick to their stomach and not taking any fuel. So they're like, it's like a struggle bus to like, just finish. So that's like my race day kind of what I see happen a lot. Yeah. I often say that like, let's not introduce any unknowns Mm -hmm. on race day because race day, you're going to have nerves and anxiety related to the race that you don't experience on your regular everyday runs. So I'm like, just do everything that you would do so that you're not thinking about it, right? If you already have that practice, say you're in marathon training of fueling every 20 to 30 minutes or whatever the case is, when you come to race day, it's like, you don't even have to think about it. And I love that you say it's, yes. you have to train our gut. Like we train our bodies because that is definitely a big part of it. I've, I mean, I've myself, I've had races where, um, I'm just really nervous. I'm really nervous. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many races I've done. I'm always nervous before mm-hmm. a race. And it's like, okay, I, if I know that the nerves are going to be there, what else, because that's going to take mental energy. So it's like, what else of my training, what else of the running can I take out of the equation so that when those nerves come, I'm not, my brain isn't split trying to figure everything out. Exactly. And even being, I mean, being nervous will even change the way your body is absorbing or died, like, like processing the fuel. Like if you're in this high anxiety state, <laughs> excuse me, and you're, you're just kind of in this fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system reaction. And you're like, your body's like this, which is normal. And then you're asking your body to like take in this food and nutrition you haven't practiced with, or maybe you did, but not enough or it in the same intensities, like Yep. And yeah, so it's definitely like, so my, my rule is if you're doing anything over an hour and a half, it has to include your race day plan. So that's like, that's mm-hmm. my, my, like, you know, you're going for an hour run. Okay. Not a problem. Even 75 minutes. All right. But once you're at that hour and a half and longer, you have to be doing your, your race day practice 
And if someone's close to a race and they still feel like they haven't dialed in their, their nutrition yet, I'll even say at our race, go ahead and practice because your gut needs to have that practice and that, that familiarity, especially at your race intensity. So if your long runs are a minute you know, per mile slower than your marathon goal pace, and you get out in that marathon and you're running a minute per mile faster than your long runs without having practiced taking your nutrition in at that intensity, the gut's going to say, no, thank you. It's going to have diverted blood away to the muscles. And there's not going to yeah. be, it's going to be like, what the heck are you doing? You're trying to in, 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 in like introduce this like high carbohydrate, high sugar product, which is okay. As long as you've practiced with it. So it's um definitely, I could talk for hours just on, on <laughs> Like that one right there. That's my figure. I'm like, let me ask her this question. Yeah. She has to say final question. Okay. And uh, this is, I want to preface this. There is no right or wrong answer to this. The question is how can we make running more accessible and inclusive? I would say it all starts with being kind and being accepting and encouraging. I think when we're at races or even just out at the park or at a running store and you can tell or you'll walk up to someone and be like, hi, how are you doing? Or just even chit chatting. Like if someone looks nervous at like a 5k, like walking up and just being like, Hey, are you excited for the race? Like, I feel like the more we can be kind and welcoming on a whole to everyone, or even like all going to a run shop and, and saying like, if they don't have any group runs, like offering to lead a group run, just mm. sorry, my, I do have my dog in here. If you heard him, he just shook his ears. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so just, I feel like there's so much, I don't know in life, it's just, there's so much stress and there's so much, like people just aren't always kind. And I feel like if we always lead with kindness, and I know that probably sounds naive, but I'm very much a positive thinker. And I feel like if we can just be kind and, and just welcome people in as much as say like, like, hi, how are you that then that person's gonna be like, Oh, they're talking to me. Like they want to know how I am. And just being inclusive from that, especially on social media. Like I always try to make sure, you know, you're not just going to highlight people that are like, you know, Boston qualifiers. You're going to be like, this is the first, first 5k. This is like, you know, their first marathon. They, you know, like if we can just show as much enthusiasm around every athlete, not just the ones that we want, like the, I'd say like the influencer kind of like style of like, this person's really fast and we want to be like them. But if we can look at and celebrate same thing with nutrition, we celebrate all bodies, we celebrate all speeds. Um, so that's kind of how I, I try to approach my own life or my own coaching, or just to try to make sure that you're being as like open and kind and welcoming. And I feel like the more we welcome people, then the more other people will feel comfortable at joining us. Yeah. I love that. And I agree with that because it's the more diversity in the mm -hmm. types of runners you see, the more people are going to be like, oh, there's someone that looks like me there. So I, I know that there is space for me there because it is really hard exactly. to be the only one of something yes. or a certain pace anywhere you go. So I really appreciate that. And I also incredibly so appreciate what you mentioned about social media because social media now plays such a huge role in our understanding of running and what the running community looks like. And that's something that I had to have, you know, a, a moment with myself of like, okay, what are the accounts that I'm following? And am I following people who either look like me, who run paces like me, like just being more aware of the information I'm taking in, because that can lead either to a comparison trap, 
or it can lead me to feeling not too great about myself and just having that awareness. So I like that you highlight that because I think also it's so important to remember that as runners and as people who love the sport and people who maybe want to be in the sport for a long time, defining ourselves by the numbers is like, it's hard. Like that, that's only going to get us so far, you know, you're the nights. And I always share with myself where it's like, oh, the runners I was in my twenties is very different than the runner I've been in my thirties. And I totally expect that runner to be totally different than the runner I am in my forties. So it's like, I've been trying to over the past few years of not letting numbers weigh so heavily on me when I'm changing. And so I just love that there's an effort on your part to also just highlight different kinds of runners, because we do, we really do come in all shapes, sizes, paces, life experiences, and all of that needs to be celebrated. Exactly. There's, there's always a time and place to highlight the winners. And like my husband is a very fast runner. And so like, yes, we can highlight, you know, him, but at the same time, I'm a walk runner now. And like, I'm not as fast. And it's like, doesn't make me or any of my athletes that are on the slower end, any less of a runner. And I just, you know, I always want people to understand that it's, it's not about how fast you are. That again, makes you a good person, makes you a good runner. Like you're just, you're a runner because you run. Like that's literally the only qualification. Like, do you go out and like, even if it's a run walk, like if you go out and run walk, like you are a runner, you are an athlete. And I think the more we can have that that identity shift of you don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to have a certain time to be a runner. We are runners and we are athletes. If we are setting our, like our sights at a goal and we're making forward progress, I always try to tell my athletes, like you're an athlete, no matter what, because you have a goal that you're trying to achieve. And it doesn't matter if you're the fastest or the slowest, you're doing again, the same distance and like you are the same. And and it probably could apply to any sport out there. Like it doesn't matter how good you are. If you're doing it for the love and you want to get better and just, you know, whatever your reasons are, you're out there every day and you're just trying hard hundred percent. You should be celebrated. Not, not just our, the elite in our sport. So that's my, (laughs) yeah, I love it. I love it. Where can we all connect with you, follow you, get more information from you? Yeah, so I have my nutrition side and then my coaching side. So nutrition, all the words are fueled. So fueled coaching. And then um, we have a, a, I'm a fueled endurance Academy, which is where all of my programs are, are kind of housed and our free Facebook group called train and fuel. <laughs> so we do a combination of training and nutrition. And then um, on the other side, we're out front as our, um, as our coaching, our coaching group. So pretty much I'm all, I'm like all over in different spots, but nutrition and, and coaching, um, places on online. Oh, I should say awesome. Facebook and Instagram <laughs> mainly. Yeah. Do you have anything exciting coming up? Oh gosh. Not, I mean, not, not too exciting. Just train lots of, you know, training and races and, you know, nothing, nothing too exciting. I'd say, but to, I mean, to me, it's very exciting, but nothing like no big, no big, you know, like races, nothing big and exciting, just lots of fun, lots of fun races coming up and fun athlete races that if I get to go to watch them, um, that's that to me, that's really exciting. So looking forward to that. Yeah, that is exciting. Cause it's, Hey, remember being a runner is more than just the running part. Like yes. being a runner means you're going out there and you're spectating and you're supporting those and that are doing the running. So I love that. Christina, thank you so much for chatting with me today and for sharing all your wisdom with us. I just 
loved this conversation so much. And I really appreciated the time you took to discuss, even just highlight the differences between trail runners and road runners. <laughs> and there's such a mindset shift that we need to do around everything, around our running, around our nutrition, and around those six pillars that you shared with us, like all of that they're separate, but then they're all connected. Yes. So they all come together. Well, thank you for having me. And I love chatting and <laughs> so yeah, I yeah. Love, love talking coaching. So I, in nutrition and training, I could do it all day. <laughs> yep. I, I will, you know, you kind of do. So it works. <laughs> they, all, they all might get bored, but we'll, we'll keep on. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you soon. And until the next time, take care. Bye everyone. Bye. This conversation ended on such a beautiful note with the reminder that kindness has the power to make others feel welcomed and like they belong as runners. I wasn't lying when I said I wanted to give trail running a try, and it has everything to do with what Christina shared about the different mentality around paces and finish times in the trail running community. I spent a good chunk of my runner life chasing PRs and being disappointed by not getting those PRs, that I'm in a space right now of redefining my relationship to running. Not to say that finish times don't matter, but it is to say that I want something more from my relationship with running. Thank you, Christina, for all the knowledge shared in this discussion. For more on Christina, follow her on Instagram at Fueled Coaching and check out her website at FueledEnduranceAcademy.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at TheCookieRunner. Check out my website at TheCookieRunner.net and support season two of the podcast over at anchor.fm slash runners roundtable. Until next time, run happy, run strong, and run true to you.